OzCert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the OzCert podcast, Share Today, Save Tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and for this episode, the first of 2023, I'm joined by Microsoft's Jeff Stodson, who was recently promoted to the role of Senior Cybersecurity Cloud Solution Architect. Jess reveals to us her Zero Trust trilogy as we delve into Zero Trust and bringing the whole business along for the journey. Then it's over to my co-host, Beck, who chats with Mike Holm and OzCert Director David Stockdale. This triumvirate of OzCert veterans talks about what they're looking forward to in 2023 as OzCert approaches its 30th birthday. I'm joined today by Jess Dodson. How are you doing today, Jess? I am good. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Do you want to just tell everyone like, a little bit about where you're from? Obviously, some people may know you from the, the very large organization you work for, <laughs> but you also have a very independent voice out in the industry as well. I work for Microsoft as a customer engineer in security, but I have been fairly prolific online and on many platforms as Girl Germs on Twitter. I speak on LinkedIn. I've been on podcasts. I've given talks in numerous places. So, yes, so I, I have a, a very unique brand of my own, not necessarily tied to my workplace. One of the topics or things that you've been talking about more recently and is a super important and interesting topic is this thing around zero trust. And it's really interesting because as soon as you, often if you walk into an organization and say, I'm not going to trust anything, like if you take that kind of blanket approach to zero trust, people's you know the hairs on the backs of their necks stand up and all of a sudden it becomes a bit confrontational do you want to just talk a little bit about what zero trust means in the context that you talk about it when i'm talking about zero trust i'm talking about it a lot now with my customers and then online as well zero trust is one of those buzzwords that people don't really seem to understand very well so zero trust i think zero trust and like the buzzword of it it's nice but it doesn't mean what we think it means To us, it's more of a trust but verify. So it's a, yes, you can trust some things, but you have to verify them first. And that, and I don't think we do a very good job of selling that part of the zero trust journey well. So you think we should be doing more the Russian proverb that, you know, Ronald Reagan stole. Yeah. And say, you know, it's not zero trust, but it's, look, we just need to check things before we give you that blanket trust. Absolutely. And and that's really interesting. I was speaking to someone else and we were talking about how we trust source code, um, trust open source so much. And sometimes you find out that something that you depend on that has a dependency on something else with a dependency on something else and you go 20 steps back in dependency, the thing that everyone trusted 20 steps back is the problem. Yeah. We just need to look at Log4J. I mean, the amount of stuff that was dependent on that and we just trusted it. Like we trusted this piece Mm. of software that everyone was using. So for me... Zero trust is one of those those tricky ones when you talk about it with organizations they're like we want to implement it. It's like, but where do you start? Like yeah. it's because it's such a big piece that encompasses yeah. so much stuff. And so zero trust is one of those it seems like a big behemoth, but you just gotta like start baby steps to mm. to, to work your way in. So, so when you start talking about it in those sort of terms, you go, right, well if I'm not gonna trust anything, or I'm gonna verify everything before I use anything or do anything. 
when you think about the activity that happens inside any organization, that's a lot of stuff. Are we really talking about a technology problem in that context or is it broader than technology? Much broader. And I think when I'm talking about it, even though I work for Microsoft, I never talk about it through the lens of a technology solution or a product or a vendor of any kind because it is... It's the governance models that you put in place. Like, where do you rate your risk? What are your SLAs? Where do you see your biggest issues being? And where are your threats coming from to then be able to work out what level of trust you want to put in place? Which areas do you want to trust? Where do you want to have implicit trust versus explicit trust? And I think a lot of that comes down to the policies that you're putting in place, the procedures that you're doing for people even walking into a building. I mean, that's not technology dependent. That's that's still a factor of zero trust. Your physical security is is part of it. And none of it's tied to a vendor or a product. So, so I mean, you threw in a four-letter word there that, you know, often you know security people worry about and that's risk mm. you know you start talking about that <laughs> the risk thing and we're then talking about zero trust is zero trust a thing that you can go apply universally do you have to be thoughtful about where you put it in depending on where your risks really exist from my perspective no i think you can apply zero trust to pretty much anything that you're putting in place but i think when you're looking at how you do zero trust, it comes down to your level of risk and where you feel your greatest risk is. And particularly when you're first implementing zero trust, I think risk plays a big factor in into that because that's where you're going to be focusing on when you're looking at how do you go about implementing zero trust. It's the, the risky items, your, your big ticket stuff. So when you start thinking about that implementation and deployment of zero trust as a, I guess, almost as a philosophy rather than a you know, you can't go and buy zero trust in a box no. and, you know. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? You know, it's not like the good old days where you can go and buy zero trust in a box and pop some floppies in a machine or some, you know, some CDs or DVDs. I mean, it's, it's not like that. You're really talking about a philosophy. Where does that sort of start inside organisations? I think it will always start with tech. So it will always start with the people in your operations or your security people who are going, look, we need to do it slightly differently. But I think a lot of the time, and that's where I see zero trust failing a lot, we don't really bring users along for the ride. So we kind of just go, no, you will do it this way. And that's not the best way to go about doing it. I think it's a, a matter of bringing them along and saying, look, we're going to be doing it this way, but it's going to make your life easier in the long run. So like we can talk about doing something like single sign-on. Single sign-on is something we can do from a zero trust perspective that will actually make a user's life easier. They only have to remember one username and one password. Going passwordless is another one. Utilizing tricks. They can sign in with their face. They're never going to forget their face. <laughs> so it's not it's not like they're going to lose a password. They don't have to reset their face to be able to log in. So it's, it's the little things that we can do that when we're implementing zero trust that improve our security but make users' life better. Okay. So when you start talking about that, I mean, those pesky users get in the way of actually, you know, the technology guys yeah, wanting to do their thing. I mean, you can sort of start with that and say, right, well, we can sell it, I guess, as a way to do things better and make your life easier. But before you can even get to that, you've got to invest. Like you've got to get the business over the line to say, 
the status quo does not work anymore. We need to do it different. Is zero trust a thing that boards care about or is, do you think it's a bit lower down the line? Or I think it's a bit lower down the line, but at the same time to be able to sell it, it comes down to what everything comes down to, money. Hmm. So it's a matter of we can invest this amount of money in improving security through zero trust, but it will save us X amount of dollars in the long run because we will be further protected. It is improving our security posture. It is decreasing our risk. And I think that's when boards start paying attention in a way of decreasing our risk and our vulnerability. If we talk about it from that governance point of view, we say to the board, right, these are the risks that we have in the organisation. And if we take this zero trust philosophy and apply it through these tools that'll cost this much money, then we get to, if we spend $100,000 on a new sign-on, you know, passwordless sign-on system, it will save us X dollars because we won't have password reset. So the help desk guys get, you know, more time to do the more important stuff instead of sitting there doing 50 password resets a day or whatever. And it, you know, decreases our risk of being hit with a phishing attack where someone does some credential theft or anything like that. So you can start to get to quantifying all of those things. It all comes down to how we can do that ROI. It's, yeah. It comes down to money at the end of it. Yeah. And then we get to that next bit and we go, right, the process. So we go, you get that decision to say we're going to do it better. What's been your experience of how to get people to adopt that zero trust mindset in, their, in the work that they do? How do you get it into that process? A lot of that comes down to how it can work for them and make their life better, as well as showing them why it is so important. And I think that's something we're not good at doing. We, we don't do a very good job of selling why it is important, why protecting an end user laptop is so vital, why your identity is so intrinsic in what you do and why we need to protect that. And we don't sell that very well. So I think when you're looking at implementing something like that in an organization, it comes down to really good marketing and communications to be able to say, we're doing this, this is why. And I think a lot of the time when we're doing a lot of security posture management and we're we're setting up all of these policies, we're very good at saying that this is what we're doing, but we don't do a very good job of saying the why. Users aren't dumb. Users collectively, they, they might cause us headaches, but they're not stupid. They want to know the reasoning behind what we're doing and what the actual business need is for it. So I think if we explain the why a lot better, and from what I've seen when I've been helping customers, the more you explain the why, the more keen they are to get involved and actually do the thing and actually look at putting this in place and adopt this more holistically across how they operate. So... That communication bit where of communicating the why, you know, and if you ever, if anyone gets, you know, 15 spare minutes, go on, look for the TED talk on Start With Why by Simon Sinek, which is a great example of why that, why, why matters, I guess. But being able to do that and promote that, that requires, that's not a technical skill. That's a soft skill that's often missing from cyber teams, isn't it? Yes. Would one of the things that you might suggest as advice for people to be, go and talk to your comms people and bring them in at the beginning of the project so that they can actually help you and give you that bit of the skill set that might be missing from your technology team? Absolutely, particularly if you don't have it in your own team. When it comes to any of these things, be it 
zero trust or any of the other methodologies you're looking at putting in place, the ISO 27001 compliance or looking at, at, at PCI stuff. Like it doesn't really matter what you're looking at doing. If you don't have good communication skills, you're not going to be able to get it over the line because you need to be able to communicate it up and down. So you need to be really good at talking up to management and talking down to your users. Pretty much all of all of the compliance stuff, all of the risk stuff, everything that we talk about around zero trust, the technology is secondary. Like you can utilize whatever products you want. You can utilize whatever solutions you've got. It depends on your budget and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter. It's the comms, the people, the processes that matter when you're looking at putting it in place. If you don't have them, it's all going to be for nothing. It's going to be a waste. So you've worked in this space for a long time and you've got you know pretty strong experience. You've got really strong experience in talking about these quite complex concepts that make their way through from the the risk language of boards through to the operational language of people you know at the front line of what are perhaps some of the key messages that you think people need to actually focus on when they talk about zero trust i really like i call it the zero trust trilogy so it's the three main focuses of zero trust so the first one is talking about verify explicitly So when we're talking about verifying explicitly, it's verifying everything. You are who you say you are. We know who your device is. We know what data you're accessing. We know what applications we have. We know what our infrastructure is and what it's talking to. We know what's talking on our network. So it's it's all of those verification steps. The next one is least privilege, which I talk about far too much (laughs) and yell about quite a lot. It's the you only need the rights to do your job, no more, no less. You shouldn't have a swathe of rights that you've collected over 20 years in an organization you only need exactly what you need not everyone is edward snowden no exactly (laughs) no and i i don't want to go into organizations and find like 50 people as global admin it's just horrible and then the last one and i think it's the one that you say and everyone kind of freaks out but it's assume breach and assume breach means that you're assuming at any given time there is someone doing something in your organization on your infrastructure that they shouldn't be doing. So how do you contain that in the best way you possibly can? How do you make it so that your your security blast radius is as small as physically possible? And that's pretty much all of zero trust. They're the big ones of zero trust. So just with that last one, just in your observation in general, you know, don't name and shame specific organizations or customers or anything like that, obviously when I ask this, but in your experience, is there like an arrogance or hubris around that couldn't be happening to us? Like are people a bit, you know, it it can't be me? There is, but I always like saying to them, it's not so much, you don't have to think of it as a threat actor being in your environment. Like even your own internal users can be doing malicious things or just stupid things. Like you can have operation staff who think they know better than everyone and have given themselves root access on everything in your environment. And it's just in case, just in case you never know. I might need it. I think the best one I had was someone who'd set themselves up as a global admin using their hotmail account on their organization's tenancy. And it's those kind of little things like you're like, 
if you're not looking for it, you wouldn't know where to find it. So you need to be constantly looking, which is the whole idea around assume breach is you can't just assume that because you've set up barricades around the outside that there's nothing inside. That's just not the case anymore. So that's really powerful. Just having that trilogy of thinking about things like, you know, least privilege and verify, verify before, verify explicitly and assuming breach. Just having those three things in your mind when you start this probably gives people a bit of framework it's interesting though because you talk about you know knowing what you got i mean (laughs) my experience and i've i've had a long i've had quite a bit of experience in corporate it environments is that most people don't know they know they think they know what they've got but they don't really know everything they've got and they certainly don't know everything that they don't have but it is connected to their network yeah potentially when people start going ah you know i'm gonna bring my kids tablet in to connect and all that sort of other stuff. That's a big challenge as well. It is. And I think BYOD is going to be the death of us all. But <laughs> at the same time, it I mean, it makes our users' lives easier. They can mm. use their own devices. So that's why when we talk about zero trust, it's a matter of we don't need to know everything provided we've got governance and controls in place that are when something comes onto our network or when something tries to access our information, we've got security in place we've got that verification to say hang on a second is this device one of mine is it is it part of my organization no well if it's not mine then has it been recently updated does it have some form of endpoint protection on it is it coming from a botnet network out of latvia yes okay maybe we don't want to let it connect to our network so it's those kind of verification things things like the ceos locking in from you know Uzbekistan. Yeah. That's not normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's able to pick that stuff out. User access control and application access control are really important and, and doing it all the time to be able to see what people are doing and also getting that behavior analytics to work out what is considered normal for a user or a device so that you can see those abnormalities when they spike. Mm-hmm. Users usually log in between 7 and 9 in the morning and log off between 4 and 6 p.m. You see the CIO logging on at like quarter to two in the morning is that normal? Maybe not so much. You may yeah. want to flag that. It's yeah. it's those kind of things. That's awesome. So when we think about that trust but verify, the first step is actually understand normal. Yeah, absolutely. Through audits and data and all those sorts of things. Then once you can do that, then you've got that right. Now I know what normal is. Then I can start thinking about those other steps as well. But it sounds like you need to start with the knowing what you got before you can move on. Yeah, that baselining is really important. That's awesome. So we've been asking all of our guests on this year's podcast uh, the same question. And it's it's an opportunity for you to give a shout out to people that have been particularly influential or supportive of your career. So we're looking for your cybersecurity superheroes. And they don't have to be people that are well known. They could be people that no one has ever heard of, but they were influential to you at a particular moment in your career and gave you great guidance or great advice or great support. So for me, I think, and I've spoken about it just recently as part of an International Women's Day thing that I did, I think my superstar would be my very first boss. So her name is Donna Ashelford. She was the first person who took a chance on me even coming into tech. I was brand new. I'd been fresh out of TAFE. We're talking like back in like 2004, 2005. I didn't have any practical hands-on tech skills at that time, but she took a chance. Hired me straight out, started off a couple of days working at University of Queensland, moved up to working five days a week as a a, a casual, and then got put on 
full time in her team. So I was probably there for a, a good seven or eight years. So I think without someone like her taking a chance on me to be able to get into the industry, I wouldn't be here now. That's amazing. Thanks so much today for today, Jess. No dramas. Thank you for having me. Now it's over to Beck with David and Mike. Thank you, Anthony. We're very excited to be back for 2023. And today I'm joined by two people. So lucky me. We've got David Stockdale, Director of Also. Hi, David. Hi, Beck. Nice to be with you. And the wonderful Michael Holmes, Senior Manager. Hi, Mike. Hello, Beck. Lovely to be here. So yes, mixing things up to start off the new year. And, and I thought, what better way than to look forward and go, what, are, what is also going to do? What does 2023 look like if we get to the end of this year? What's, what's a good year look like besides less breaches <laughs> overall <laughs> for the industry? So what do you think, David? What, what, what are you excited for, for in 2023? This is my seventh year, I think, coming up with Osirs oh, wow. this year, and it's Osirs thirtieth, obviously thirtieth birthday. So, what am I excited about? I, 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 look, we often talk about all the things that we can see and all the great things we can do, but I think more than ever this year we've got a really well-defined view of what things are going to be, the things that we're going to add, how we're going to improve our the the, the, the membership value, how we're going to bring in new services. And how are we doing some you know some great some great work so that's what i'm excited about personally yeah great what about you mike what do you well i've started this year already with a, a blog on resilience and and readiness for cybersecurity, just with some thoughts that i had but this is sort of leading on from a few things that we we did last year and people were asking people were actually asking us what what do you think and that reminded me that also it's been around for a long time We've got a lot of experience collectively, thanks to all of the people that came before us. And I thought, yes, we should be getting more of that advice out there. And late last year, I, I did a, a briefing to a board at one of our members. We've done a few of those now, and we're looking forward to doing more of those. And those are, those are bits of experience that we can impart on our members. Sometimes, you know, you You'll know these things already, but having that outsider, especially a trusted, impartial, not-for-profit, university-based organisation like OSCERT to come in and back those things up, that will be really helpful. So that's something I'm rather excited about, but there's a lot of other things going on too. I think also, Mike, I mean, you look at your team and, and Beck's team, and we've got some great new people in who we're bringing along on this journey who are learning it, but we've got some experience as well. Oh, yeah. That's so exciting as well to it's see them people. It's such a diverse team. It is. It's fantastic. Yeah. It was funny. This morning we were doing an exercise where we were sort of looking at overall the direction and where we're going because we're obviously talking about strategy and operational plans and all of those things that you do at the beginning of the year. And it struck me that every single person in the, in the, the team was effectively all sort of pulling in the same direction. And I've never been in a workplace where everyone is really pulling in the same direction at the same time. You know, you just don't get that in any other workplace. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that alignment on, all on the same journey is mm. really exciting, isn't it? Definitely, yes. Yeah. And 30 years of also, like we're, we're heading into our birthday, is, is it's a great point of reflection about where we've come from and where we're going, but what a legacy that we carry forward. Yeah, I think so. And, and uh, it's such a privilege to be part of that in some small way. I, I think, you know, if you just add up, if you add up the number of years that we've been at OSERT, 
I mean, it, that's a lot, isn't it? Uh, but, but then you have the, that, just the team up and all the years of experience they've got that, that contributes to that 30 years. And, and all of those people who have been part of OSCERT, who still associate with OSCERT, this, mm. we talk about this OSCERT family, and it's real, it's, it's, not, it's, not, you know, it's not cliched, it's, it's actually a real thing where people go out and they still have something in their heart about OSCERT. And that's why I love to sort of push that idea of winning hearts and minds but keeping the heart but let the mind go free at some stage, the people move on. Those hearts mm. are still with us. It, it love is that. lovely. Yeah. Everyone still, you know, cares and checks in mm. and goes, how are things going? And they want, yeah. they want us to succeed, which is lovely. Yeah. Yeah, we have, I'd say, the strongest alumni of, of previous employees that I've ever seen in a workplace ever. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm hoping we can get some of those faces together come March on our yeah. 30th birthday and celebrate together and, and reminisce together about the different things that OSCERT's achieved in that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's a perfect tie into conference because that mm. all aligned with our theme, Back to the Future, is looking back but also looking forward. So, so Beck, I mean, you're asking, I'm going to turn this around a little bit <laughs> oh, and go, oh dear. Oh, well, we, we thought we'd just, uh, we'd just sort of put this together. <laughs> and, uh, what, you know, what are you excited about? Ah, well, obviously, I am excited about the conference. I, yeah. Each year I think, why do I love this? But I, it, it, it captures me every time that we're on this journey and I get excited when I look at those graphics and, and the <laughs> things that we have planned for delegates, those little surprises that we come up with and, mm. and watching these submissions come in at the moment for the call for presentations and, yeah, it, it, it's such a great part of the year and, and the time that we get all of our members together. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, 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 think, I think it's so it's so exciting to see what is a, a, a fairly small not-for-profit company like ourselves having such a reach and having big global IT mm. you know, vendors and, and security vendors who want to be part of that with us you know they, they, they are you know they're huge compared to, to what we are but they still want to be part of this yeah. and that it, that's that's exciting but community well. is it is really fun mm. well it's it's probably one of the few conferences that actually combines what the cert does as an operational function in cybersecurity with a conference you know the two things go hand in hand and I'm not sure anyone else does that it's very mm. unique yes so we've got we've got big goals we're ambitious as always about what we can achieve in our little teams, but yeah, watch this space for, for hopefully some magic in 2023. What, what's the one thing though? What's the one thing that we've been discussing that you'd like, you know, you're, so, you're really excited about? I think it's, it's the fact that we've got some credible cyber intelligence. I'll use some buzz phrases because I like that. But I keep hearing from our members, hey, thanks, you know, for, for providing this. It's unique. We didn't have that. Now, that's something that you've given us that no one else gave us. Those sorts of things, considering how small that team is. I mean, they're an amazing team that we've got, but it's small, you know, compared to some of the other organisations that are doing the same thing. I'm proud of that. That's mm. exciting. We do a lot with very little. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Yeah. What about you, back? Member engagement, which is probably a good thing, considering I'm the business manager. But starting back with our member meetups last year and, and getting back to some of that face-to-face is what I really enjoy. And, mm. you know, the conference gives us that en masse, but then going to have some more personal conversations face-to-face with everybody is, is where I really discover how people are feeling and share more about what we're up to and keep people up to date throughout the year. So... Definitely those member engagements and focus groups that we run. Mm, yeah. I, I think for me, actually, because we're part of the university and I, my role is a dual role, both in the university and with OSCERT, education is obviously a big passion for me. Mm. And we were just talking, weren't we, about, about how 
over the last couple of years we've developed that sort of educate or sort of education mm. side of it but the new things that are coming online you yeah. know where we're looking at, at sort of training for boards board members the, the next intermediate course things around the sort of malware information sharing platform mm. type of stuff some of those, and, and, and that whole yeah the whole data governance that one I, I think those are those are for me some of the really really exciting things and plus being part of that of our of our sort of what's the vision for the next for the next five years type yeah. of thing yeah exciting times ahead very much I'm looking forward to it and thank you to everybody for being part of that yeah yes thanks for making this work <laughs> brilliant alright well watch this space mm. see what we can achieve this year thanks for joining me thanks Beck. thanks Mike thank you thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today Save Tomorrow the OzCert podcast thanks to Jess and to Beck, David and Mike we'll be back next month with another episode of Share Today Save Tomorrow with a new guest and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about AusCert, be sure to visit auscert.org.au.